The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, March 30th, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I'm in Chicago and I'm staying in one of those extended stay hotels for the week or for four or five days as I uh, host Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me this week. And it's got one of those little mini kitchens, or as I, a Manhattan, I call it, a kind of big kitchen. Anyway, I was boiling some eggs this morning, went to the other room, ablutions needed to be performed. Where's perform ablutions, right? Getting down to my ablutions, I should say. And boom, heard a pop. Go in. I was boiling eggs in the microwave. It wasn't put any metal in there, all right? Konakova would not be upset with me. But I guess I boiled it too long, and I had an explosion. I had to sweep up the carcasses. It was all over the place. Hopefully, they'll be able to identify the victims from the egg white records. And I had this picture of myself like I was Caruso with the Miami sun behind me. And I took off my glasses as I said, I guess the yoke's on him. As I'm sweeping up the carcass, as I'm cleaning up the crime scene, I think to myself, you know what, this is bad. But I do have two good eggs, and uh, I didn't really know how long to boil it in this microwave, so so those two actual hard-boiled eggs, they'll live on to tell the tale of the egg that exploded. And not only that, I got to achieve something I always wanted to achieve in my lifetime. That egg, I turned him into a sentinel chicken. Remember that? Remember the idea of the sentinel chicken? This was like six or seven scares ago. The West Nile virus. The idea was you keep a chicken in a box, and if the chicken dies, or you could even, if you're like really humane, test the chicken's blood for presence of West Nile, and then you know if you have West Nile in your midst. Well, I created a sentinel chicken situation. So I gave myself a pat on the back as the extended stay apartment began to stink more and more of egg. On the show this week... We'll bring you stories from Chicago, a couple of podcasters who also produce the show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, some improvised Shakespeare. This week, we'll catch up to past Chicagoans who've been on the gist, but today, less Windy City matters. And in the spiel, I will talk, remember I just mentioned uh, six or seven scares ago, that West Nile virus? Yeah, I will talk about matters of uh, scares from Africa and South Africa, comedy and setting the facts right. But first, matters of a less windy city variety. So if you're a shareholder of a company, you get some say in uh, that company's business. Some say, but not every say. You could own stock in Dunkin' Donuts, which owns Baskin-Robbins 31 flavors, but you don't get to choose a flavor. You could own stock in Raytheon, right? But you don't get to say how many tungsten fragments to put in the Patriot missile warhead. Jim Ledbetter, guess how many tungsten fragments are in there? I'll give you how a many. Hint. Well, it's around the number of flavors at Baskin Robbins. Oh, okay. Go ahead, take a guess. Thirty-one. No, nah, it's twenty-four. Twenty-four okay. tungsten fragments. Anyway, Jim Ledbetter's here. He's the editor of Ink Magazine and Ink.com, and he's the host of the Ink Podcast on the Panoply Network. How are you, Jim? I'm great, Mike. Thanks for having me. So I'm, I raised this issue of how much of a say shareholders have because the issue is being pressed by, I think, an unlikely source: Walmart, huge company. Everyone knows Walmart. Lots of people 
people have stock in Walmart. Well, one group of people or an entity that has stock is Trinity Church. Yeah, the Trinity Church that's right next to Wall Street. Yep. And they want Walmart to stop selling what they call assault rifles, what fans of assault rifles will say. They'll use a different phrase. They'll say yep. it's some sort of AR-15s, different kind of rifles. Why is this case before the courts? So the background of this is that Trinity Church owns a fairly small amount of Walmart stock. And after the murders in Newtown at the end of 2013, they asked Walmart to stop selling these weapons in their stores. And they wanted to introduce a shareholder resolution at the annual meeting of the company. This is a Year in, year out, common practice, public companies, people get up, they propose things, it gets voted up or voted down depending on the the number of shareholders who bother to vote and this sort of thing. And Walmart said, no, Mm -hmm. we don't want this resolution to even come up for a vote. I could understand why they would say that. Yeah, you could. I mean, it's it's a very interesting question, right? I mean, it's up to some degree, a public company is supposed to function like a democracy. You know, an emphasis here on to some degree. The company is truly owned by its shareholders. Now, a very large portion of those shares are owned by the Walton family that founded Walmart. So they, they retain control over most issues like this. And we can talk a little bit more about that. But there's sort of two principles at stake here, depending on, you know, which side of the, uh, of the fence you're on. One is, shouldn't shareholders get the opportunity to take these issues before the, the shareholders at large, even if it gets voted down, number one. But then on the other hand, the company's point of view is, this affects our day-to-day business. This is too close to the question of how many flavors or which flavors do we do if we're Baskin-Robbins. Shareholder resolutions are for larger issues of corporate governance or how we how we uh, source our material or this sort of thing. But in terms of what we sell in the stores, that is and has to be the exclusive purview of, of Walmart management. It's a very, very interesting case. And and I would say that there's by no means consensus on these issues in the business community at large. Right. Now, I understand Walmart, from its point of view, wanting to uh, quiet dissent amongst shareholders or potential dissent. Also, just running a business, you can't open up everything you stock when Walmart, in fact, stocks everything to a vote of the shareholders. That would be absolute chaos. Right. But Trinity Church comes back and makes an argument. This isn't opening everything up. This isn't opening up the barn door. They're kind of rejecting the slippery slope argument. They're saying, we're specifically talking about assault weapons, and that's in a special category. That's in a category of things that if you were to sell, and they do, would materially hurt the brand of Walmart. It's in a category of things that should be up for this kind of vote because they're sort of ipso facto let's say, third rail issues. What about that? Yeah, I think that's their narrow argument, and I think it has some merit. It's also the case that maybe only half of the Walmart stores sell these these guns, so we're not even really talking about a massive revenue source. It's not going to materially hurt the business selling these particular weapons. You know, Trinity Church, too, is not an organization that I think most companies would want to have on their bad side. The the PR value of this battle yeah. is probably more important than the substance of it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all PR. I mean, Trinity Church is the church right next to the World Trade Center. They, they have been around since 1705. I mean, George been, Washington worshipped there. I walk through the graveyard there and the people are buried there with birth dates, 1680-something. They also have something like $2 billion in reserves. They were at one time the largest landowner in Manhattan. They have since sold a lot of their land, but I think they still have quite quite a lot. And, you know, because it's downtown, it's particularly valuable. And again, I think that they are trying to use this 
controversy as a way of making a, a point that I think a lot of Christians, a lot of religious people share, which is that gun sales are encouraging people to, particularly these types of guns, they're not really going to be used for hunting for the most part. Uh, these, these particular kind of guns are encouraging people to sin, right? The big mystery here, Mike, that I don't entirely understand is why Walmart is fighting this as hard as they are. Mm -hmm. I, doing a little research for for this segment, I, I spoke to Liza Featherstone, who wrote a terrific book on women and Walmart called Selling Women Short about the longstanding battle to get equal treatment for Walmart's female employees. And she pointed out to me that there have been resolutions of these types for years, for decades, convents of nuns that bought shares in Walmart in order to introduce shareholder resolutions about pay equity. And there have been environmental resolutions. And they always fail. Yeah. The Walton family has a controlling interest in, in the stock. Most shareholder resolutions at most companies that aren't introduced by management fail. I looked at one study that said about one in seven is successful if the resolution is not introduced by management. So in terms of the, the actual kind of substance, they could just let it happen and it would fail and then that would be it. And the worst case scenario is let it happen. It would pass in this tiny, yes, tiny, tiny part fraction of your business. Of, and so it's just not clear to me why the company is fighting it so hard. Yes, there is a a kind of principle at stake here about you know con control of the company and as you say you know you don't if you open the floodgate too much you'll you'll introduce madness right but and one man's moral issue is assault weapons another man's moral issue is you know trans fat sure you can define moral issues down cigarettes you mm -hmm. know I mean sure. I, Walmart sells lots of things that people could object to but it is a little bit of a mystery and it's it's not a, a topic on which the company is is being particularly forthcoming which is not really that surprising but that to me is the the sort of question at the heart of this it's like why are they allowing this to be such a big stink? It can't really, it's hard to see how it really serves their, their interests to generate this kind of publicity. And when will this case be decided? So the the hearing is right. What what happened was a, a court ruled that uh, in fact Walmart has to introduce this resolution. The company has appealed. It's now in front of a an appellate court in Philadelphia, which is three judges. They are supposed to have a hearing in early April, and the thinking is that the the judgment will be fairly swift. If it goes in favor of Trinity Church, then it would get introduced into the Walmart shareholder meeting that same month. What percentage of shares does the Walton family own voting uh, it's, shares? I, I believe all total, it's around 50%. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be so, hard to pass it without yeah, Walton it's, it's, on board. Uh, the, the, the chances of it passing are extremely small. I, I suppose there is a, a, a possibility that the family is somewhat divided on okay. the issue of, of guns uh, and gun sales. I don't, I don't know the specifics that well, and I don't know that they would be public about it. I would say that if it gets introduced, the chances of it passing are infinitesimal. Jim Ledbetter, editor of Inc. and host of the Inc. podcast on Panoply. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Mike. Don't stand in front of a microwave that's on. That's the old, well, is it a wife's tale? Or is it, what's the nice way to say wife's tale? Bullshit. Joining us now is Maria Konnikova. She writes for The New Yorker. She comes on our show to play Is That Bullshit? She also is the author of How to Think Like Sherlock Holmes and a new book about, can we divulge at least the topic? Yeah. Con men. It's called The Confidence Game. It's called The Confidence Game. Oh, it's more than a game. But anyway, let's talk microwaves, shall we? We shall. Okay. Do you microwave your food? Yeah, all the time. I 
only will use a toaster oven if you really need a crispy outer exterior. I'm sure our friend Dan Pashman would lecture me on this and that, but I like the food hot. I like it hot in a hurry. Microwaves for baked potatoes, microwaves for soup. What's the, what's the benefit of putting soup on the stove if you could just microwave it? I don't know. Anyway, a lot of people are scared of microwaves. Mm. I'm not. Should I be? Well, I don't know. How are you feeling? I feel okay right now. So people have been worried about microwaves basically since their invention. They were actually invented by a guy um, who worked at Raytheon. Mm. His name was Percy Spencer, and he was working on some tubing. There was some you know, radiation equipment, and at some point he had a chocolate bar in his pocket, and he noticed that it melted when he stood by this equipment, this tubing equipment, and it wasn't because it was in his pocket. So then he decided to play around with this and to say, hey, can I actually use this to make my food hot? Um, and lo and behold, he could. And so he invented the first microwave. But it took almost over 20 years, actually, for them to actually catch on and for people to to start using them and to start thinking this was a good idea. But that entire time, they were thinking, ooh, radiation, right? Microwaves, yes. right, waves, bad. And so people will say things like, it changes the chemical composition of my food. Yeah, people throw around phrase like that. I really don't think they know what they mean. Changes they the chemical composition. Isn't yeah. that kind of hard to do? It's really like hard to do. Like tungsten becomes helium, it yeah. starts to float. Yeah. How does that work? And microwaves really don't do that. There's a lot of pseudoscience around this. There's this guy, Dr. Hans Hertel, who's always, I think his middle name is Ulrich. Mm. So Hans Ulrich Hertel. Hertel. He's Swiss. Yeah. If you do a Google search of microwave safety, his name will inevitably come up. He is always cited for doing the study in 1991 that was supposedly suppressed by the Swiss government because it showed that microwaves were not safe. Yes. Because they changed the chemical composition. Suppressed by the they Swiss. Changed, yes. They, they changed the molecular compounds in the food and they made people more prone to get sick and they even screwed up with your blood. Like your blood levels were very different if you ate microwave food. But that study has been thoroughly debunked by the scientific community because, first of all, this guy only used eight people. Uh-huh. That's it. And four of them were made of metal. So, of <laughs> course, they can. Also, he tried to market a suit that you would wear in front yeah. of the microwave and benefit from that. It was called the Hurtle-Gurtle. It didn't really take off, but I question his motivations. Yeah, so the Hurtle-Gurtle didn't really no. work either. But he only did eight people. This has never been replicated. This is just completely... No one really knows what he did. And the co-author, so he published with this other guy, and the co-author went on record during criminal proceedings in Switzerland saying, I want my name taken off this paper because I do not agree that you can draw any of these conclusions about the lack of safety of microwaves from these results. And that's the closest we've come to say that microwaves do anything to your food, which the closest is basically no. So I kind of remember when microwaves first started and there were even these cookbooks like microwave cookbooks. Like it was different than cooking a microwave. So you would think over the last however long that was, 30 years, we'd see an uptick in bad results since the microwaves are now totally u- ubiquitous and we haven't. No. And the other, there are two other things. 
One, people are afraid that it will emit radiation. So maybe it's not going to change the molecular composition of your food, but if you stand too close to it, it might irradiate you. Yes, yeah, don't Um, stand in front of the microwave. Yeah, exactly. That's another one of these things. And? Well, that's what the microwave door is for. (laughs) Um, Usually you can stand as close as you want because the standards are very strict and they're probably too strict in the sense that even higher levels of this kind of microwave radiation won't hurt you. But the doors are normally pretty good. That said, there's some work that's been done in countries in the Middle East and some in Asia where microwaves are really cheap and not done as well, Ah. and the doors don't close properly, and then more radiation escapes. You know, basically, don't buy a crappy microwave. There are very good ones that also only cost $30 or $20. (laughs) But the funny thing is microwaves can be unsafe, but not because of the microwaves, because we don't really understand how to use them properly. Uh So for instance, you know, how they heat unevenly because the water content is different in different parts of food. Mm. And that's it. The microwave works by agitating the the water molecules. And so sometimes you'll think you'll boil a cup of water, but you won't boil it, actually, or because only the outside will be boiling. So it's not actually boiled all the way through. Or you'll think that you cooked a dinner properly, but it didn't really cook evenly, and so some of it is still undercooked. So there was one example of a salmonella outbreak because someone thought that they had cooked the dinner in the microwave properly, and they hadn't. Are we sure that wasn't a descendant of Hans Gertel? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Who was not wearing the... The Hertel Gertel. The Hertel Gertel, yeah. Also, a microwave installed improperly could fall on you. That's another risk. That's another risk. Mm-hmm. If you put something that you shouldn't, it might blow up. Yeah. And Chinese food, the containers. Yep. They make them now without the metal, but the little metal thing. Yep, it might catch fire. Mm-hmm. You might have liquids explode. Apparently... Percy, our man Percy, had an egg explode in his lab assistant's face because he was testing to see if he could cook the egg. And so the egg started vibrating. This was not an oven, by the way. He was just putting it under the open tube. And the lab assistant got really interested and started looking closer. And then the egg exploded in his face. Daffy (laughs) Duck-like. And his bill (laughs) rotated around his head eight times until it was in the back. Exactly. And then he... Pushed it to the front. So that's a danger. Yeah. There's a German researcher who loves using microwaves for for science experiments. And he had one paper that was t- something like good waves, yucky food or gross food, something like that, which was basically saying that the biggest danger of cooking with the microwave was that food can sometimes taste really bad because not all food is meant to be microwaved, despite what some microwave-centric cookbooks would like to have you believe. And you were telling me beforehand that to research this, if you just put it through Google, what impression do you get? Oh, that microwaves are just the devil, that microwaves will kill me. I probably have all sorts of cancers already and will develop some horrible blood diseases, maybe some allergies that I don't currently have. Oh, and I'm going to get basically no nutrition from my food. And by the way, that's true because it does kill an awful lot of the nutritional value of food. But then again, so does cooking. Different types of cooking always kill off some nutritional part of the food. Microwave ovens, unsafe. Is that bullshit? No, no, they're very unsafe. Yes, that's bullshit. And where did you find your information if a Google search would indicate otherwise? On the Google. That's where one goes for information. Well, page six through ten? Yeah, you have to you have to start going <laughs> past page five. Yeah. 
And then you can start seeing some of the debunking studies of pages one through five. Yeah. But one through five, see, this is how it always works. Those have the most hits yeah. because people always want to believe that there's something evil. And also, I mean, this is perfect because there's also a government conspiracy that basically doesn't want us to have any of this information about microwaves and wants us to keep believing that they're safe because microwaves, you know, there's, I'm guessing there's a powerful microwave lobby in Washington. Yeah. They can mobilize in a hurry. They heat up in a hurry. Oh, and also do not put pets in the microwave. Don't what about put, peeps? Peeps might blow up. And then it's going to be awful because the inside of your microwave is going to be coated in the stuff that peeps are made of and no one wants that. Forevermore. Thanks, Maria. Thanks, Mike. And now the spiel, factual funniness. The Daily Show, my favorite show on TV, has named a replacement for Jon Stewart. It is Trevor Noah. He's young. He's 31, 31-ish. He is South African. I wish him well, which is actually something that people say almost entirely and sincerely, right? I wish him well. But uh, this, I do wish him well. I hope The Daily Show continues to be a great show. It sells great writers. It has a track record of being the really only essential comedy in America, notwithstanding the brilliance of Colbert, what Larry Wilmore is doing. We kind of need The Daily Show. Some have said we needed it less. I don't know. With the election, I think the ratings will be fine to great with The Daily Show. The only thing that I worry about with Trevor Noah is he will have to evolve a little bit from uh, what he's shown before. I want to play a clip from his first ever appearance on The Daily Show. And at the time, it bothered me for a couple of reasons. Um, So let me set it up. Here's Jon Stewart. First, he said, we're very excited to have this fresh new voice. And Noah is. Then they were talking about the difference between South Africa or Africa and the United States. And they showed a bunch of side-by-side photographs. Name the Africa, I think was the name of the segment. The bit was these very highly selected photographs, obviously, they're trying to make a comedy point. They took a couple of shots where things looked worse, like a road looked worse in America than a great highway in, an, in Africa. Or a situation of poverty in America, in Detroit, a little kid on a, a disheveled couch versus a nice learning academy in Kenya. Okay, I don't know what that proves. You could do that with anything in the world. And propagandists do that all the time, right? North Korea is always showing brilliant shots of how great it is in North Korea. And then Noah threw to a clip of actually New York Times columnist Nick Kristoff on CNN. It's about 50 seconds, the whole thing, the setup from The Daily Show, the Nick Kristoff clip on CNN, and then what they say out of it. Here's that. The United States right now incarcerates more African-Americans as a percentage than apartheid South Africa did. Uh, the race gap in wealth in the United States not right now between the average median white family and the median black family is 18-fold. That's greater than the black-white wealth gap was in apartheid South Africa. Oh, my God. <laughs> Here's the amazing part. For South Africa to achieve that kind of black-white wealth gap, we had to construct an entire apartheid state, denying blacks the right to vote or own property. But you, you did it without even trying. We trained for decades, and you just waltzed in and won the gold medal. Well, that's, you know, (laughs) blundering into things is how we rolled. When I saw this, I said to myself, that just can't be, because I have never been to apartheid South Africa, but I've been to the townships today, I've been to Soweto, and... You know, I've been to many public housing projects in America, and the two just don't compare. Poverty in America is horrible and terrible, but it's just 
an order of magnitude better than even poverty today in South Africa. I can only imagine what it would be like under apartheid. And I wondered about the statistics. So a fact check reveals that Nick Kristof was not intentionally being wrong. It was quoting a Washington Post column, but that column wasn't comparing wealth to wealth. That column was comparing wealth to income. And here's the problem. There are no good statistics about what wealth was like in South Africa. And at the time, uh, the column that Christoph was quoting was saying that the wealth levels are comparative. If you looked at the income levels, the income levels of American blacks were essentially 10 times better than the income levels of South African blacks as compared to white people. In other words, this column, and therefore Nick Kristoff, and therefore The Daily Show, grossly misstated how horrible things are in America, or another way to look at it, how relatively decent or comparable they were to South Africa. Now, it's a comedy show, I know, but when the whole point of the comedy is to have bite and you get it this wrong, well, then the comedy doesn't work. Another thing about this bit, there was a wag of the finger going on right pretty close to the surface that Americans are fairly ignorant about Africa. And you know what was ignorant? I think the only ignorance here was to accept those levels, to accept that apartheid South Africa is comparable to America today. You know, it's just much, much worse. This isn't to say that things are good in America and this situation isn't dire. But my God, when you consider Africa and compare that to America, there's no comparison at all. And therefore, I think with this part, there's no comedy at all. Now, Noah's been on the show many times. He's going to be on the show for years to come. He's got great writers. He'll grow into his role. He'll, he'll get better as he goes along. But the original, the very first time he was on the show, one of those political fact-check sites went over the claims quite thoroughly. It's where I'm drawing my information. They rated those claims false. And I'm going to say from a comedy perspective, also rang a little false too. Well, at least, at least we're getting better. We started from the bottom, and now we're here. Oh! A little bit of Drizzy, a little bit of Drake right there. A little um, bit of... Never heard of her. All right. Um... And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi is courageous and dauntless. Just intern Claire Tennisketter, intrepid and stalwart. Managing producer Joel Meyer shows none of the traits of the poltroon or the spineless. Executive producer Andy Bowers evinces no evidence of pusillanimity. I, on the other hand, am both chicken-hearted and lily-livered. Yes, one of my internal organs is discolored, the other best at powering a small, flightless bird. Am I saying I'm a coward? No. They might be giants are saying that because this is a Monday, which means we play a new They Might Be Giants song. It's part of Dial-A-Song, that veritable institution. New Dial-A-Song songs will be available at the Dial on Tuesday. But as with every Monday, it's right here on The Gist, They Might Be Giants with I'm a Coward. Gentle as sun.
Mumbles are what you expect to hear. 